Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who were the most intriguing early paranormal researchers? What do you do when the ghost is picking on your dog? Is it possible that you can die and never even realize it? Hello and welcome to the 958th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben. And those shape-shifting questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. Uh, today we bring you an open line show to answer your questions on a number of paranormal subjects. The number is 401-766-1240. Uh, and the email is paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Well, so let's uh, get right to it and see what happens. Yes, We sir. have questions, of course, from uh, our dear friend and occasional guest co-host, Peter in uh, Peter uh, Shelley in Bogota, Colombia. Okie dokie. And our, 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 our very pervasive Peter writes to us... Um, Paul, in the 1970s, you were the f- uh, you were first starting uh, paranormal investigations. What personalities uh, do you recall on the East Coast who were connected to the field aside from Ed and Lorraine Warren? Well, that's an interesting question, Peter. Um, there weren't a whole lot of people. The one I knew best, besides the Warren, beside the Warrens, were uh, was uh, Dr. Brian Riley, <clears throat> not a well-known name even then or now. He was a professor, uh, he was a psychologist, a uh, parapsychologist also, <clears throat> excuse me, who taught at the University of Connecticut. And we were all in Connecticut, the Warrens, me, Dr. Riley, <clears throat> and, and we would um, get together. As a matter of fact, I remember one, uh, I think it was a charity dinner we attended in Hartford or West Hartford, Connecticut at the time, that this had to be 1975 or so, and Dr. Riley and his wife came with us, it was the Warrens and myself, and a a third, I should say, another person came and sat down with us, turned out to be a man named Ivor Hugh. Now, Dr. Riley was from the UK originally, and Ivor Hugh was also. He was not a parapsychologist, he was a TV clown, okay, but he was also a brilliant professor, he taught uh, drama and stuff at various universities around the area, and uh, I had watched him on the old Channel 18 in Hartford since I was a kid, Flippy the Clown, and I had, um, when I was little, I, I had done a, a, a taken a purple crayon and done this drawing, and I sent it in, and he got it and he showed it on the air, that, that was like the highlight of my media life at the time, so uh, <clears throat> I'm looking at the guy, and, you know, he's in a nice suit and everything. <clears throat> and I, I couldn't help resist talking about the show. And he claimed he remembered that purple drawing. So <clears throat> that's uh, a little bit um, uh, aside from the question. But uh, Dr. Brian Riley was very interesting. I still have a copy of his original uh, theories, uh, which was a, were parapsychological, of course, and very much along the scientific lines of parapsychology at the time. Uh, data, uh, statistics, um, various uh, minor experiments and uh, teleportation, or at least uh, um, <clears throat> uh, RSPK, the spontaneous uh, re- recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. 
things of that kind. So uh, I remember him. Um, <clears throat> of course, at the time also, the, the major figure was um, Hans Holzer, whom I did not know. Uh, he was all over the place, had written more books than anybody else. The Warrens at the time, there were no books about or by them, uh, except for one called Deliver Us from Evil. That was the first book. Then they had a ghostwriter uh, appropriately write it. And I met him, and um, that was uh, the only... They weren't all that well-known at the time, except in Connecticut. And, of course, the major figure... And Ben said uh, when we had when we did a podcast with him that he had never seen me starstruck before. It was I, really impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, Jacques Vallée, of course, who's been around forever. I think he might have still been in France at the time, but he started, you know, in the fifties, for heaven's sake. And he was a pioneer of a lot of the ideas that that we espouse today. Uh, for example, the idea of. Um, uh, you know, window areas, as John Keel called them, or, or the multiverse, things of this kind. Uh, I did not know know of him at the time, never mind know him. I mean, today, I know him. So uh, I think that he was a major figure kind of in the background there, and that was kind of come, he would come up uh, in my attention later on. But those are really um, uh, the, 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 the major people at the time. Also locally in Connecticut was Mary Pascarella, who ran the Psychic uh, Research Institute in New Haven. And uh, there's an inter- interesting story behind that that I've never mentioned on the air. I mentioned it in my program about working with then Lorraine Warren on the lecture circuit. But <clears throat> uh, Mary, it's funny because, you know, when, when I do that, I show a picture of the Sopranos, you know. And I say, I'm not saying Ed and Lorraine were involved with the mob, uh, but according to Ed, Mary Pascarella's husband was. So what happened was, and was that I was marooned somewhere, and Mary Pascarella and her husband picked me up. We're going to bring me back to the Warrens' house. And um, as I, I, I knew Mary pretty well, and, and I was, I was telling her, you really, you're supposed to be a Catholic. You really shouldn't be doing the medium thing. You know, and her husband got all upset with this. You know, who's this kid? You know, I was in the seminary at the time, but nevertheless, you know, telling my wife she can do this and that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, my mind's made up. Don't bother me with theology. So, <clears throat> according to Ed, Mr. Pascarella got so upset that he was going to put a contract out on me with the mob. So, I mean, do I believe this or don't I? I mean, but that's what Ed said, and, and Ed said he saved my life by talking him out of having me killed. So that that that's an absolutely true story, and I don't know. That's uh, really that's what happened. And, Can't say it's uh, boring. <laughs> no, not at all. And, and, and certainly one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me while I was working with Ed Lorraine. Mm. So anyway, I hope that answers your your question, Peter. Uh, th- those were the major people. Uh, in my world at the time, but again, Jacques Vallée, I didn't discover till till the end of the seventies, and I said, "Aha, you know, th- this makes a lot more sense than dead people." Mm. So I don't know. Who were your inspirations, Ben? Uh, Other than your father. It's, uh, well, um, this is hmm, this is this is a tough question because uh, I have I haven't really. 
This is going to sound weird. I haven't thought about it a ton. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it's... I, I, I always... Obviously, I, I was I, I was really a big big fan of yours because um, I, I, <laughs> I, I grew up with you. Um, yeah, yeah, you couldn't help it. No, no, not at all. I mean, Shane was always always a pretty big inspiration Shane to me Searway, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shane Searway was Absolutely. always a pretty big inspiration because he was very he's very he's a very earnest guy, and I I, I always kind of strive to be as um, you know stick to my principles as much as he does. Yeah, and I I always respect. Uh, the heck out of him because he he really he he really sort of is is very like if, if he if he believes something he believes it if he doesn't he doesn't and uh, it's, yeah, I agree and I so respect him for that tremendously yeah and it's like he doesn't compromise on his principles which I can and really money doesn't sway him right and I I really appreciate that about yeah. Shane and that that always I I always look at him and I'm like wow this this man's got integrity <laughs> yeah, that, that's the big with a capital I. Not not that there's a lot of money in this field. There isn't. There's not. <laughs> you know, you write books and stuff. You make a few royalties, but uh, and we certainly don't make a living at this. Uh, you know, I, I'm a working journalist on other areas, and Ben is uh, with the uh, commercial construction company as a administrator. Mm. But uh, <clears throat> I'm just uh, a lot of people try to make a living at this, and it just doesn't work. However, if you do get into major TV productions, things of this kind, you can make a lot of money. Mm. Uh, but Shane has been offered this and that here and there, and he won't take it because he doesn't feel right with it or he doesn't feel that it's that it's honest and it lacks integrity. Yeah. And I think that that's worthy of tremendous respect today. So, so I'd, have to, I'd have to think about, about who... I, I don't have a ton of people I, I, like, I, I look up to. But I, I do have a lot of influences in my thinking. Yeah, yeah. And that, I think that's a different a different animal altogether. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on to Peter's second question, because the answer to the question is she should be calling in uh, any minute now. Yes, I'll keep an eye on the phone line there, uh, which is, what is the latest from Rick Eno? Which he should be coming in in uh, just a little bit via telephone. Yes, uh, calling from California. Sunny California. Uh, yeah, Rick is a cousin of ours. And uh, the question is, how many Enos uh, can there be? And he is an occasional co-host of the show, uh, particularly with open lines. I always get a kick out of uh, our our mailbox here at the station. There's a little label on it that says, Uno Dos Enos. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. A mailbox being a physical mailbox, not... Yes, not not not, a, not an so, uh, an email inbox. Uno dos tres uh, enos. Ah, uh, and uh, speak uh, of the Rick. Rick. And um, yeah, Rick is uh, the nor- the Northern California reporter for our show, and he's with MUFON. He's a certified investigator, and uh, will uh, no, he's perfect. So uh, Rick has just called in, and we'll get him on the air to answer uh, Peter's question about what's going on in the world of Rick Eno. Hey, Cuz. Hi, Cuz. How are you doing? Good Sunday to you both. Oh, you too. So, uh, you, everybody wants to know what uh, what's going on in your world and what you're working on. <laughs> okay, well, um, I guess I'll start at the top uh, because that's the most uh, most relevant at the moment. There's there's three things really going on. Um, the first one's unrelated. It's more about health and cancer. I've been focusing on this watching this um, clinical trial about glioblastoma. That's been the first thing that's looking promising. The yeah. second thing that's been, uh, yeah, which is, which is 
probably the most pertinent for people at, at the moment. But uh, I would say on the paranormal side, I don't know what's happening out on the East Coast. You can let me know, but we are getting more and more orbs um, showing up and being reported on. Now, these aren't physical craft that uh, you can, you know, sort of enough hold. Um, at least that's what the eye has revealed that it's more of an orb. Um, and my latest case was on July uh, 14th, uh, where um, guy was just walking his dog, and all of a sudden um, he thought he was looking at stars, and then he realized these were moving in independent ways. Uh, he took videos of them, but you know how that goes with the iPhone. It's kind of like a blur. Oh, yeah. Could capture the behavior. Um, and then they started moving as a group. West. Now, I would say, like, a number of things. I'm still researching the case. I would say, like, oh, you know, it's a possibility of drones, possibility of this. But, uh, you know, initially I've never known drones to show up as major bright lights high, high in the sky. Um, and, but the, the thing about it is not just me, but other uh, investigators, because I'm not the only one in Northern California, are getting the same thing. They're getting more and more orbs. I, I would love to know what's going on out east, and if you think there's any significance to what's going on, I, I'd, I'd absolutely love to hear it. Um, uh, and then just secondly, if you want to know what my interest has been going on, I had a great meeting with uh, Deb Rooney, um, and I learned a lot about uh, the cryptid, particularly Dogman, that I had no idea. Uh, and I'm going to start looking into those reports more in California because I haven't been. Yeah, I've heard a lot from there, too. Uh, Dev Rooney being the uh, assistant director of the Northern California MUFON? Yeah. 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 <clears throat> He's been a guest on the show, a wonderful person and researcher. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, the uh, the orb thing is interesting because it, it, it puts me in mind of um, the last interview we ever did with the great Ted Phillips from Missouri. He, as a matter of fact, uh, on, like, as with many guests on the show, that this was the last or one of the last interviews he ever did before he translated. Mm. So uh, that seems to be a pattern. Now we tell you, right, Rick? You're, right. you're a guest co-host. They usually survive. You've survived this long. Yes. So, uh, but as far as uh, Ted was concerned, he would he would note uh, that uh, in his tremendous, probably the world's largest uh, collection of, of data and evidence for physical landings, of UFOs or UAPs that uh, they had begun to morph over the last 15 or so years from what appeared to be nuts and bolts craft to uh, light balls, he would call them. And uh, in the paranormal in general, they're known as orbs, of course. What they are, as soon as you have, have them figured out, somehow they begin to do something uh, anomalous that makes your explanation questionable. Uh, in the ghost realm, they're considered to be spirits, which is naive in my opinion. Uh, in the although you, I, I, we have photographs of there, there appear to be faces very clearly in these orbs. Uh, on the other hand, the UFO people think that they're UFOs. Uh, in 2019, May of 19, when we got our well-known uh, video of a, a UFO. Uh, flying over the um, triangle area that we were investigating, 
bunch of witnesses, including um, uh, Shane Searway, whom we mentioned before, mm. and um, Chuck Credo from Seco Saucers of New England, and Alexander Petikoff, the great filmmaker, uh, all there saw this. I got it on video, and the the object that, that came out of the cloud-like formation looked very solid. It did, didn't look, look like a typical orb to me. And then it went back into the thing. And um, what it was, I don't know. There was some speculation that orbs are, are living creatures, even some of the ones that are interpreted as UFOs. So it, it's really an open question. Uh, ben, what do you think about orbs? Um, you know, I think it depends on the context. <coughs> um, I think it's kind of hard to lump them into either or categories because I feel like they pop up in very different circumstances. So, I mean, you know, you tend to see orbs, i.e., in the Pennsylvania Triangle uh, case where they pop up, you know, before Bigfoot appears or something like that. Um, in some instances, you know, in, in a few cases we've had, they'll be floating around in houses, sort of seemingly, you know, benign, you know, just kind of hang, hanging around. Uh, other times they could be associated with UFO phenomena. Um, I, I always kind of liked the the explanation that they might have, they might just be balls of plasma, you know, elect- yeah. electrified air molecules. Which, in in my opinion, if we're gonna if we're gonna take the viewpoint of well, it could just be you know world boundaries or whatever, then you know that that would make sense. You know, high, highly you know um, electromagnetic areas or phenomena that would cause that could electrify a bunch of air molecules and and create these things to just sort of you know float around, you know, and um, that that might be an explanation for it, but uh, I because it seems like the common denominator the common denominator is that they hang around places that tend to have you know a lot of phenomena happening, and they they seem to have their only connection is they seem to just sort of exist there. <laughs> well, one question I would ask Rick is is as you see these cases coming in, Rick. Do you uh, are these orbs that are seen with the naked eye, or are they? Oh, that's a good question. Taken with uh, photographic media. Well, they're, they're orbs seen with the naked eye. Okay, and then that makes a difference. Like this, like, yeah, captured on a cell phone. Yeah, yeah. You mm. know, it, it, which doesn't do it justice. I mean, it doesn't even look. I've seen, I've seen things in the sky, and just I don't really am not big on photographing with a digital, uh, you know, uh, piece of equipment. Because it never does justice what your naked You're eye right. is seeing. I always thought it's better to to just draw it to explain it because the video doesn't come out; it's a big blur. Yeah, there, there were um, yeah a lot of uh, incidents in, in the ver- my very early days when, uh, like Fred Flintstone would come with me on cases. There would be um, <coughs> f- photographs taken with you know film and thirty-five millimeter cameras or Kodak Instamatic cameras but non-digital media. And uh, the, the, we didn't get orbs like that. We, we'd get kind of like things that look, look like flashes of light or stars. But uh, yeah. digital media today would capture the same thing and interpret it as something, and you, th- there you get your orbs. But I have seen orbs with the naked eye. Many people have. Uh, so it, it is uh, still pretty much an open question. But, Rick, I... I yeah. Well, I was going to ask one, say one more thing. The question I leave in everyone's mind is, <clears throat> are these incidents happening more because people are more aware 
Or is there something about our new environment, the new technology, 5G, nuclear bombs, I don't know, whatever, go down the list, that's making them more aware of us in coming here? Might Maybe be all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a, you know, it's funny. It's almost like you anticipated the thought that just occurred to me. Um and and it's it's it is an interesting question because as I as I was pondering um, the orb, I was pondering um, specifically how we, we as humans, whenever we tend to mess with things, you know, the the environment sort of reacts to it. You know, it's it's like and that that's in every aspect of of life, right? You know, you go out into your yard. You spray a bunch of weed killer, you know, and the environment reacts to that. You know, it's like, sure, your grass looks greener, but a bunch of other stuff dies in the process. Um, I guess yeah. on, on a macro scale, as as we we tend to mess with, you know, a, a lot of things. <laughs> just just think think of all of the, all of the the wonderful gadgets and things and how they they affect you know not not even just the superficial environment you know but the fabric of of reality, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously, there there would be some sort of response to it. Now, you know, okay, well, how does this relate to the paranormal? Let's say, um, you know, we have a parasite case, right? You know, people try to, you know, affect their environment by, you know, let's say, using a Ouija board, right? You know, we, or, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to try and control this or affect it in a way, you know, and and just really get in there and try to try to mess with the environment and so you do that and you make things worse and so the environment responds you know in kind which is you know it, it leads to things getting worse and worse so you know imagine that on a massive scale right you know we're we're trying very heavily to affect the world around us and you know the 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 environment is responding whether it's multiple worlds we're trying to mess with sort of intentionally or not you know, it's it's responding in kind. I I would argue that because we're trying so very hard to control every aspect of our our world, you know, ourselves, uh, you know, in 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 you know all of these these abstract things, we're trying so hard to control all of it and grasp it and manipulate it that it's just it's just making things worse. You know, it's like you know you step back. You step back in time, you know, people are, you know, you look at mythology, right? You know, we, we tried very hard to basically control everything. And, you know, you see things like monsters and cryptids and all these things, you know, just sort of wandering around. And you wonder, well, you know, what happened? <laughs> Why don't they exist? Exactly. And it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, there was a point in time where we just, we kind of just stopped trying to control things and sort of allowed stuff to happen. But then we just sort of forgot all of that and said, "Well, let's just keep trying again." And so, <laughs> so you have all all of these phenomena coming back in a in a in a, in a strong way. You know, it, all nothing, none of this is new. And and I, I've been trying to point this out for years now. You know, canine cryptids, right? None of that's new. Yeah. You know, all all of this, you know, poltergeist. None of that's new. Like you know, aliens appearing from places and doing things. None of that's new. You know, this is all stuff that's been happening, and as as time has gone on, we as humans, you know, we like to say history repeats itself, <laughs> but we only think of yeah. that in in a, in a political sense. We think of it in a political sense, thanks to our, our our fine friend Karl Marx, where all history is the story of class conflict. 
but it's not it's not just about political stuff it's 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 every aspect it's every every aspect of the human story repeats itself constantly yeah well the, the, yeah. The, the Ben's comments lead into another thought uh, that brings us to perhaps to another layer is the uh, Heisenberg uncertainty principle in quantum physics mm. that uh, <clears throat> we uh, taken to its extreme it can be interpreted as that that, that we literally will create realities within the physical world, whatever the physical world means. So, uh, right. you know, how, how, what influence are we having on the arrival or creation of orbs uh, when all the, the feral ghost hunters sit in the house with all their instruments that they don't, they don't understand and say, oh, I'll raise the temperature or lower the temperature, and it happens. Maybe they're doing it. You know, yep. so th- these are all questions, but... Um, Anyway, we're coming you know, up on a... Uh, yeah, oh, go ahead, Rick. Oh, just quickly. You know, I always think about that. Um, chaos, you know, it has to be created. And it seems in our world today, between what you just said, what Ben said, and, you know, the advances in technology, we're definitely increasing the entropy in our environment, and that's more excitement, more possibilities. And I do think, you know, personally, I'm leaning towards, uh, with the chaos, you get noticed. And when you get noticed, things want to see what's going on over there. And I, I feel that that's kind of what's going on now. As we get more chaotic and everything we have, we're being noticed in the dimensional world, the other world, the universe, you name it, and they're coming. Yeah, th- th- that's a thought right there. Mm. Well, there it is. Rick, I know how busy you are, so we'll let you go. And, t- and thank you very much, and we'll have you back on the show real soon. People love you, kid. Okay. All right. Love you both. Have a okay. Great Sunday, guys. Catch you next time. All right. So let's take our mid-show break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 12:40 a.m. and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with open lines. This is John Martin with an AARP Rhode Island update. In a thriving community, people of all ages and abilities have a variety of safe and accessible options for getting around. Walking, biking, pushing a stroller, or maneuvering a wheelchair, taking public transportation, or driving your own car. Planning, designing, and building roads that meet the needs of all users is essential to building a truly livable community. Complete Streets Design allows everyone to share the road and get their own safe piece of the street. Join AARP Rhode Island on Tuesday, August 9th at 10 a.m. for a free virtual forum featuring national and local experts showcasing the successful implementation of Complete Streets projects around the country and in Rhode Island and how communities benefit. Learn how cities and towns consider and incorporate these design principles and how you can get involved in your community. That's Tuesday, August 9th at 10 a.m. Register today. Join us. Register at aarp.org slash rievents. You can depend on us for public service. ON Radio. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON Radio. And we are continuing with open lines today. Our phone number 401 766 or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And we have a new case uh, ourselves in Coventry, Rhode Island. And if, Ben, you would uh, read the uh, comments from uh, Betty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Betty is a personal friend of mine. Uh, we go back a ways. She's well-known in the Rhode Island community. So what does Betty have to report to us? 
So Betty writes to us, My brother and his wife moved into a house in Coventry, and pretty soon thereafter, one of their dogs was shoved off a couch by an unseen entity of some sort. And then my brother smelled old lady perfume. Oh, frightening. Uh, their, <laughs> their dogs act weird uh, when one of the... One of the uh, when in one of the rooms, and also one of them just sat at the bottom of the stairs, starting or staring slash acting as though uh, looking at someone. They were sitting outside in the driveway area, and their son saw a chair move. They are wondering if some something should slash could be done, or if I knew anyone who could come by to check it out and ask uh, the ghost to leave, or what. Any guidance you can provide would be most helpful. I'm going there this Sunday, and I'm scared. Well, Betty, I'm sure there's nothing to be scared about. Yeah, hopefully. yeah, it's um, it, that's something we would really have to go and and check the environment there. Uh, but I would say initially that uh, there are a number of assumptions that we really suggest people not make. Uh, the presence of a of a ghost, whatever you mean by a ghost, uh, is um, questionable for this reason I have been in many situations where things have moved where pets have responded and in my opinion there was no presence as such when that occurred I think that there are are energies and forces that will accompany manifestations of multiversal phenomena in other words if you're in a place and and these things can move um Traditionally, sometimes they're called ley lines. I think that that's uh, good in some ways, questionable in others. But when we have the boundaries of parallel worlds, uh, the multiverse theories of quantum physics, which I find explain the paranormal far, far better than dead people, um, you can have energies that, that occur. The metaphor I always use is if you're running to answer the doorbell, you stir up some wind, and maybe there are some papers on the table. You run by it. The papers blow in the wind, fall off the table. You didn't do that deliberately, but the conditions you created or that accompanied your passage actually uh, moved the um, the wind and, and moved the papers. Uh, in some of the worst poltergeist cases I've ever done, you know, notably Bridgeport, 1974, the famous one, uh, <clears throat> I really felt that... Um, on most occasions, not all, that the quote-unquote ghost or demon or poltergeist was not actually doing the moving of the furniture. Not always. Sometimes there was a presence when that happened. But, uh, you know, a table would flip over. Uh, the girl would rise off the floor, the, the, the young girl, Marcy. Uh, and um, I just didn't feel any presence there. When the TV came over and hit me in the leg... I didn't feel any presence. Other times, I was confronted with with, with, uh, terrifying presences, terrifying in their strength, and in the very presence of of their being there. It was was amazing. Uh, The electrical tingle would wash all over your body. So I don't think we can assume that there is an entity doing this. Uh, It sounds as though an entity might be present somehow, somewhere or somewhen, at what we we call today an intersect point, where two worlds are coming in. Now, what's interesting is, is the uh, the uh, the aroma of the perfume, and you'll have to tell me 
later, what do you mean by old lady perfume? We don't want to insult any demographic group. But um, the presence of, uh, we often hear, you know, cigar smoke uh, or this sort of thing. Um, now sometimes it, the conditions have been very humid. If you have a carpet that was there when someone else lived there, it's possible that that would retain a cigarette smell or even a perfume smell, especially if somebody spilled the perfume. But it also could mean you're at an intersect point or an overwash. These are all vocabulary words we, we had to invent to even talk about this stuff, uh, where you have uh, the world. Uh, and remember, in, in the, the multiverse approach uh, that uh, we take and a lot of physicists take, all time is simultaneous. <clears throat> there is no past. There is no future. We just experience it that way because we're not up to experiencing it all at once. <clears throat> so uh, you, you may have <clears throat> a woman, an old woman, wearing that perfume, occupying the same space as you are, uh, but in a different parallel reality where it's, it's, it's what to us would be the past or what to us would be the future. She might not live there yet in our world. <clears throat> These are all things that you have to consider. So what we would do is come in and uh, <clears throat> check the place out. When you've done this as long as I have, and Ben too, uh, you know what to look for as far as the, what the feelings are. And we can pick up if there's something there or not. And uh, in that way, take it from there. Uh, if something is hostile, or uh, heaven forbid it's a parasite, a negative entity, uh, that, that we should be able to tell and uh, go from there. But at this point, uh, we always tell people, you know, forget everything you thought you knew about this field, because um, as, as our 2016 book said, behind the paranormal, everything you know is wrong. And we don't include ourselves in that. You know, we're, we're, we're writing on the uh, on a clean slate as we take up every case. So th- that that that's a minority opinion in the uh, paranormal world, which is why we're we're seldom asked to speak at paranormal conventions. We're bad for business. We question all their theories. But this has worked for me since the late 1970s. Every time, uh, in the sense, it hasn't always worked out well, but as far as the interpretation, um, we've always found it to be true. So, Ben, what comments would you have uh, for Betty? Um, well, I think, I think one of the really, there, there's two, in my opinion, two very important aspects for understanding the situation there's there's understanding the narrative that we tell um and there's also understanding the practical stuff so you know we we all love a good ghost story we love a good spooky story that's that's just that's just what that's what we know that's what we understand because how we understand reality is based on stories and and narratives and so we take the data points we have and to understand them we construct a story out of it. Okay, so with the data points we have, we know that we... Well, I'm going to say no in quotations. We we think that there's an old lady here, she died here, she's mad, she's pushing dogs, she's doesn't like dogs, the dogs don't like her, and, you know, something happened with her and dogs, maybe she died there and a dog attacked her. We, you know, but that's that's the narrative that's starting to form out of the data points we have. Which is not much, but look at the story we got out of that. <laughs> yeah. So, so understanding the that you know, okay, well, before we construct a narrative about what's going on, let's understand the practical stuff. You know, 
um, let's understand. Let's let's take a step back before we start building a story out of this of a of a sad old lady that didn't like dogs. We're we're going to take a take a step back and and say, okay, well, you know, we have our questionnaire. We ask with every with every case. You know, we we sort of whittle down the explanations with it, and then we take that and say, all right, well, let's let's construct something that we we've experienced prior. And see how that fits into into the situation, and nine times out of ten it does. Um, but then again, it's it's our experience, and it's 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 what's worked for us mostly. So I, th- I think one thing to really understand is before we start telling a narrative, and before we start telling a story about it, we need to understand the parts of the story first, and we need to deconstruct it. <clears throat> And say, okay, well, let's take individual piece and understand it. So, you know, something pushed a dog. Okay, you know, let's uh, we'll come back to that later. But you know, smelling perfume, we've already kind of discussed that. You know, a chair moving, we've kind of already discussed that. But you know, some of the other things we we would deconstruct is the environment. Okay, you know, is there a problem with the electric bill? Is it unusually high, even for the summer? You know, running air conditioners and stuff is not cheap. Um, is it is it possible that you know this is that you know you might have electrical leaks in the house? Is there a possible like you know electrical uh, electrical magnetic activity that could be you know angering your dogs? You know I have I have a cat who acts like a dog um, who every night for at least well actually he he has he stopped doing it recently but for like a good few months he would go into our bathroom in the night and he would sit and stare at the ceiling. Uh, <laughs> Which was always disconcerting. You get up in the middle of the night, you turn on the light, and there he is. He turns and he looks and he's like, you know, squinting at you because he's just been standing there. And so we were like, oh, yeah, what's what's going on? You know, and you know, my my first thought wasn't, oh no, ghosts. Even though I live, you know, right next to a cemetery, my third my first thought was, okay, well, you know, he's crazy. But then after installing a a, uh, a new bathroom fan, I realized, oh, there's mice in our attic, and he was staring up at the ceiling where the mice were. So. <laughs> So now we, we, we deconstructed that narrative, and we know that my cat is not crazy. If anything, he's a genius. <laughs> yeah, he is. And uh, in some ways, you know, not, he's not perfect. But, um, but we, we deconstructed that narrative, and now we know there's mice. So, so there's, there's wisdom in being skeptical about things to understand stuff, but there's being skeptical to a fault, you know. And and there there's there's coming to a point where we under we understand and we can appreciate there's something that's beyond basic practical explanations. So that would be our job, is is to understand. Okay, let's break this apart and see what we can understand before going to, proceeding to what we cannot. Well, on the other hand, uh, we don't want to. Uh, all that being said. We don't want to minimize what Betty has reported. No, that's not uh, that's not the goal. There could very easily be uh, an intersect point where someone is very aware of you being in the house. We find that in many of these parallel worlds, the laws of physics are different. There can be awareness. There can be contact. Mm. But we don't believe these are dead people. We believe that these are, are people or versions of people uh, because... Everything is possible in the multiverse, but I don't see how death could be possible, even for the body, because there's so many versions of ourselves, if this narrative is correct, which we found it to be. So it's very possible that there may be someone interacting, uh, as Ben said, who doesn't like dogs, um, would be seeing 
the dogs as uh, something of an annoyance. As a matter of fact, we have often run into cases where the quote-unquote ghost thinks we're ghosts haunting them. Mm. Because how do they see us? They see us across the membranes, but as Ben said, these electrically charged membranes, physicists actually call them that, between these parallel worlds. And you look like you're glowing or spooky or, or foggy or something like that. And um, we have found that um, there have been times when you have, you have to talk, uh, communicate with them, tell them you know, you're not a ghost because they're going about their day and they see you like a fog moving around the house. I mean, that, that's, I've literally run into that time and again. Mm. So um, uh, there are all these possibilities that we would look at, and, and we will set up a time with you to come down yeah. to Coventry to uh, check it out. So uh, please don't be alarmed. Uh, let us know uh, as we go uh, before we get down. You know, Keep us in the loop, and um, we'll be talking to you. So thank you, Betty, for writing in. Indeed. Okay. So we have uh, <clears throat> several questions we did not get to in previous shows here that I think we should move on before we. Um, all right, here, here's a. We kind of addressed. Uh, well, let's take this one. Uh, Keith from Saluda, South Carolina. Okie dokie. And uh, Keith writes to us I'm always interested in your show, but especially the ones about ancient aliens to coin a phrase, but the shows are not long enough. (laughs) Don't we know it? Uh, It seems totally obvious that our ancestors were contacted and influenced by extraterrestrials, ultraterrestrials, interdimensionals, or all of the above. Their ancient documents and their folklore do not allow for any other explanation, in my opinion. Um, The first chapter of your book, Behind the Paranormal, really really spells this out, the paranormal in human history. I know you are men of faith. Can you talk more about where you draw the line between these early early visitors, the divine impressions they left and the actual god well this guy really does listen to the show and he's read our book so uh we can uh, address that from a point of view of um some some uh knowledge i hope the um th- this has come up a lot lately especially people find out that i have a seminary background and that that we are people of, of faith that um y- you've got all kinds of interesting things going on in ancient history uh, we did a show uh, with our good friend Reverend Michael Carter about uh, UFOs in the Bible and all these things that today you read, whether it be in ancient documents in general, that obviously to us seem to be craft in the sky or uh, some sort of uh, extraterrestrial life or alien life forms of some kind influencing our remote ancestors. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we get that. Uh when we have talked with contactees, uh, and w- whether you take their, st- I mean, they believe their stories, but whether they're objectively true, whatever that means, is uh, is is the case, then uh, there does seem to be behind all of it a divine presence. It may not be what I learned about in the seminary. It may not be what you hear about in, in church, synagogue, or, 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 or mosque, but it's um, it, it does seem to be there. And I have seen it most clearly expressed in the most ancient cultures. The uh, Andaman and Nicobar Islanders of the uh, Indian Ocean, the, um, the, the Cree people of Quebec, and the, certainly the um, Australian Aboriginal people, 
with whom I spent a little time in 1979. And there, among all the, the, the ancient and indigenous cultures, <clears throat> there seems to be a very clear memory of someone coming to teach them or help them, but that behind that, there is a, an, a very elegant, quiet presence of a, of, of God. And even, uh, there's even a Trinitarian knowledge of it from the most ancient religions, which apparently, according to folklore studies by some, did not start out as worshiping many gods. They started out as worshiping one god who had a female counterpart uh, and a child, very often us, the human race. And uh, But there was always a, a presence. I always think of it as the, um, as like from Ezekiel, the, the, the um, or actually it's First Kings, I think, the, uh, the, the still small voice. Uh, God was not in the thunder, not in this, that, and the other, but it was in the still small voice. Simple, strong, beautiful. And I think that regardless of what you think of ancient aliens or people, you know, I think that that influence provided some of the baggage that some religions have today. But uh, I think that the uh, the basic truth is, yes, that's where I would draw the line, is that they're for everybody, including the extraterrestrials, if that's what they are, uh, there seems to be behind it all a, uh, a a magnificent and beautiful and silent presence of the creator or the source or God or whatever word, puny word you want to use to describe it. So I don't know. Any thoughts on that, Ben? I have thoughts. <clears throat> I have a couple thoughts. Um, and uh, I, I first would like to, to say... Um, I think the first thing to really, really point out is we like to, we as modern people like to think we're, we're the pinnacle of human understanding. We know it all, you know, we have, we have science to back us up. Um, but I, I just, I, I don't think that's true. I think we know a lot less now than we did, you know, a hundred years ago yeah. or even 200, 300. You know, we know a lot less than we do 50 years ago, right? And, I think it's important to point out that we like to apply our standards and understanding to other time periods when it's just it's just not it's not viable, you know? It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's like, you know, you you try to look back in time and you say, "Well, they did this because of this reason." And it's like, "Well, it's we don't know that." And, you know, even morals were different back in the day, you know? It's like being a good person was, you know, going out and destroying the closest town and <laughs> taking all their stuff, you know? It's like, uh, uh, what's his name? Hammurabi, right? You know, Hammurabi was considered, you know, an amazing leader, not because he was a good guy, but because he exercised his control over large groups of people, you know? It's like, every, you know, you look at Greek heroes, right? Hercules murdered all of his children, but yet, you know, the idea of a hero was not the idea of a hero today, you know. And it's it's like, and I think that's a very important important thing to point out. So I always kind of, 
you know, whenever ancient aliens things come up, I, I always am, am skeptical of of that because it's like you know we don't <laughs> we don't know that, you know we know that something happened, you know there was definitely some sort of outside influence in human history, you know you can't deny that, but to just assume that space aliens came down and, and built pyramids, I think is a tr- tremendous disservice to our ancestors. I think so too. Also, so I'm, I'm going to point out something else which is very important. Um, in 1974, uh, philosopher Thomas Nagel wrote a very important essay for the Philosophical Review, uh, which I think, honestly, is probably one of the most important things that has come out for phenomenology, the study of human experience, you know, in, in the last hundred years, which is an essay called, What Is It Like to Be a Bat? And I've, I've talked about this before on the show, but and it sounds goofy, but the whole premise is, you know, can we know what it's like to be a bat? And it, it presents this problem of human consciousness as we don't know, you know, the, the problem of human, human consciousness is we can't know what it's like to be a bat. We only know what it's like to be a human consciousness inside a bat body. So we don't, we can't know how a bat thinks. We can't know what it feels like to be a bat flying around. We would just say, well, you know, I guess I'm a bat now. I'm going to go do bat things. And we don't know what it's like to be a bat, much like, you know, we don't know what it's like to be a god. We don't know what it's like to be an alien. We don't know what it's like to be, you know, an angel, a ghost. We don't, we don't know because we'd be just putting human consciousness inside of, you know, a non-human entity. Right, you know, I barely know what it's like to be me or you, right? So I think it's unfair to say, well, you know, I know better than these dum dums in you know 100 BC because you know I'm a smart guy, and I I think it's important to understand that human consciousness has its limits in that regard. You know, there's there's also this assumption that we were slaves to these beings, but that's not the case. If you ever look back at ancient documents, we tried to control them. <laughs> That's what the whole point of idols was. It, you know, the whole point was was to capture these things and make them do what we wanted. You know, it's like idols, you know, if you ever read, read you know, scripture, idols weren't bad because, you know, oh, you know, you're not worshipping Yahweh. Idols were bad because you were trying to control the world around you. You know, that was that was the whole thing. You know, so it's like you wonder why there are all these statues and stuff and why people gave and, and sacrificed things to them. It's so they could get something out of it. It's not that they were trying. They were, you know, they were like, okay, you know, there are these cosmic beings that, you know, they're they're real powerful. What if I tried to control it? it, it what's what's different than that? There's no difference, you know. What if I could control the internet? You know, what if I could control a specific area of commerce? What if I could control a god? There's no there's no difference in in human motivation. We've tried to do that forever. What if I could control sunlight? What if I could control water and use it to power things? No difference. You know, the, the human condition hasn't changed at all. You know, the only thing that's changed is gadgets. And even then, those aren't even too different. Because essentially, we're still trying to do the same thing. So these cosmic entities that take an interest in us, maybe, you know, if that's what happened. And there's evidence that there is, whether it's extraterrestrials, interdimensionals, we don't know. But whatever they are, you know, we weren't slaves to them. You know, they gave us stuff because we gave them stuff. And we were like, okay, cool, let's see if we can control them. And we tried, and we failed, but we tried. <laughs> and so the, the all of this to say is, you know, it's... There's a narrative and a pattern that's been consistent throughout history. 
you know no matter what culture you know no matter what the terms we like to think if we know the terms and we can apply those to things then i got it figured out but we don't and i i think it doesn't really change how i how i view my relationship with the deity you know if anything it's like okay yeah i'm pretty sure that a lot of stuff that that's that's mentioned in a lot of different folklores yeah that stuff happened and i don't think i can ever know the answer to any of it you know whatever it is you know, whatever influenced us. I don't, I don't think I'll ever know the answer to it, but what I know is that something happened. And I think that our explanations for it just don't do it justice. You know, what you just said reminds me of something that your brother's godfather, Joseph Latender, who has been on the show before, and we were in seminary together back in the, the 100 years ago, uh, not the same seminary, but he, he said when Star Wars first came out that the Force was the perfect god for modern people because they could they could control it manipulate it didn't mm. have to submit to it as such so that that kind of follows right on what you said <clears throat> but on that uh, cheerful divine note let's go to our announcements indeed so the exterior uh the, the exterior the exterior the, UFO the ex i mean it, it's partially exterior but the, <laughs> yeah. the exterior ufo festival returns in september at the Hex, the historic exeter new hampshire town hall over the labor day weekend that's september 3rd and 4th this is a great event and the whole downtown gets involved it's sponsored by the exeter area kiwanis club to benefit local children's charities along with ourselves speakers will include kathleen martin peter robbins uh, jennifer stein uh, Bob Terrio, Mike Stevens, Lynn Nickerson, Valerie LaFasso, Mac Maloney, uh, special guest speakers as well, Professor and, oh, actually, the special guest speaker, Professor and UFO ex, uh, experiencer, Ralph uh, Blue, Blumenthal, along with many others. And the subject of our talk, Time Storms, with thanks to the uh, great British researcher Jenny Randalls, who coined the term. Uh, we plan to do our traditional live broadcast from the event on Sunday with a panel of, of speakers. And uh, this is a fun event. So join us if you can. You can visit ExeterUFOFestival.org for more details. And visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 1,100 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WON AM and FM, including uh, ones that have been restored in the archives there. Also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. <clears throat> Download our show app. doesn't do a lot, but it's free. And uh, you'll be able to uh, have direct links to those, those broadcasts uh, from, I think it's Spreaker, actually. So, um, Lovely. And so you can visit our website. Uh, it has charity pages on it as well. Uh, there were several good causes that we have adopted over the years, including Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, the Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund. Love to put in the flood, most recent Kentucky flood uh, charity in there, too. Oh, yeah, geez. So what's in the pantry for next week, Ben? Well, uh, next week, that's August 14th, uh, we'll welcome back Valerie LaFasso, uh, to talk about the empathic medium experience and a preview of the Exeter UFO Festival. Uh, not necessarily uh, unrelated topics. Uh, you can send your questions and comments to paul at behindtheparanormal.com. And we leave you today with a thought for the late, great Stanton T. Friedman from his forward to our 2016 book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. Quote, We need to recognize that what we don't, that we don't know everything. 
So rather than saying that's impossible or if that new idea were true, I'm so smart I'd already know about it, we should be checking it out, unquote. I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.